This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Wednesday morning, hump day, I believe the, the, the young and hip and trendy kids call it. Um, God, I just made myself sound about 30 years older than I actually am. Matthew, help me out here. Matthew Dallas, uh, the regional editor for Stuff, which of course includes the Manawatu standard, is in the studio this morning at Amari. Good morning. I'm pretty sure we were saying hump day back when we were kids as well. Okay, well, there we go. Marvellous. Um, so we are here to, uh, to speak to you about what's, uh, what the Manawatu Standard uh, has been reporting on in the past few weeks and, of course, what stuff is reporting on because that all gets uh, uploaded to the website as well and people can check everything out at manawatustandard.co.nz um, or buy a newspaper. There's a novel idea. I, I, just on that, the, the printed version versus the digital version, is there still a place for that printed version in, in the business? Is that still, you know, a big driver for you? Yeah, well, yeah definitely. It's a big part of um, of what stuff does, our, our print products. We've got, I think, eight uh, regional papers um, coming out each day, plus the Sunday Star Times. And um, yeah, the big part of what we do, obviously, our, our audience for our, our readership for those publications is uh, certainly leaning towards the, the plus 65 plus and um, where we can, we try to, I guess, use that term, I suppose, extending the runway mm-hmm. and, um, in terms of you know, trying to get new readership where we can, but we do know younger people um, will we'll, we'll tend to go online, and we we try to serve them the best we can there as well. With um, you know, and certainly for up up to the minute news, breaking news, um, stuff's the way to go. For the I suppose that's immediate. the thing. That's the thing. You can have a sort of breaking news thing because you've got that that conflicting deadline thing. The newspaper comes out every day, bang, bang, bang. You've got to have the stories lined up. But whereas in the digital landscape, it's much more fluid, isn't it? It is, and um, I think with with print, we've got a lot of. Um, I've spoken to a lot of subscribers, have long-term subscribers, that even in the last, oh, it must have been like five years since we went to a morning paper, but they will still religiously um, keep hold that paper, put it up, and, and not read it till you know two in the afternoon or three three o'clock when they used to do it, and it's yeah. just that that traditionalism, I suppose. And well, there we go. Newspapers obviously still uh, having a place, particularly in the in the journalism space and, and making sure that integrity is there. Um, let's have a look at some of the stories then. Uh, George Hegney uh, did an article here um, looking at the number of health workers and teachers in Manawatu that have been stood down but struggling to get some sort of hard data there. Yeah, we've uh, struggled the last couple of days and the other newsrooms have been the same, particularly with the Ministry of Education in, in terms of how many uh, how many teachers or how many staff at schools in in the wider mana were too? Um, no, I guess now been stood down mm. and maybe out of a job permanently. Um, it's been a, I know we were reporting last week with the DHB. They were giving us figures where we were around that kind of I think forty five to fifty staff affected for all of um, Mid Central, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is pretty it's a pretty big beast. Mm. Um, but skills has been harder, we, and we certainly haven't been approached by individuals who are crying foul or saying, look, I've been, my 10-year career is now over because of this. Um, the sense we've got, for, I think, from George's reporting is that there's, 
there is a unity, I suppose, amongst the schools, and they're just they're kind of moving forward, and um, no one's sort of throwing their arms up in the air saying that they can't cope with this. Um, I mean, in fairness, it's not a sort of uh, not legitimate, but it's not an arguable position to go. I've lost my job because I won't have the vaccine because I'm scared of it and I don't know what's in it. Yes, there's there's this. um, (laughs) That's my um, opinion, not yours. (laughs) But yeah, the perception, I suppose, from from those who are now out of work is that well, this mandate has forced them out of their job, but they have. They've certainly made a choice, and mm. there is a, a personal and a, a, I suppose a social consequence for them, mm-hmm. um, which um, I think you know a majority of New Zealanders probably don't have much sympathy for. Um, no, I well I I don't because I just I don't see the logic in the argument. Uh, you're doing this to protect the health service, you know. Yes, I am double vaccinated. Yes, I am protected as much as I can be until I get my booster in six months, but. Um, I'm not going to be a drain on the health service. If you get sick and you're not vaccinated, you are creating problems for the entire country. And and the whole, you know, it's not safe or it's dangerous. Where's the evidence? Where's the dead bodies in the streets from having the vaccine? And it, and it, I don't I don't follow. I don't yeah. follow. But then, you know, I'm not a journalist that has to listen to that on a regular basis. Yeah, when it comes to teachers, um, we want our teachers to be protecting our um, their classrooms, protecting their children. Which... And leading by example. Exactly. Because um, I think I heard uh, in the news there are schools where teachers who are not vaxxed are teaching remotely, which is a converse to what we had in lockdown where all the kids were in their homes. Apparently now the kids are in the classroom and the teachers at home via Zoom. That can't be... Well, I don't know how, yeah, how sustainable that's going to be. I mean, who's in the... Someone still would have to be in the class, depending on the age of the students, I suppose, Um Something has to be hands-on. Oh, dear. Um, so, George, hopefully, uh, is he still poking away at that with the stick, trying to get uh, some data on that one? Yeah, hopefully. Um, you know, they've talked that the Ministry have said it could be weeks before we get uh, his numbers uh, broken down into regions for the, the number of educators that have been affected. Mm. So, but, yeah, stay tuned. We'll get something eventually. Marvellous. Uh, moving on, uh, this was awful. Multiple, multiple people killed in a crash uh, just south of Levin Cuckoo Road. I think it's it's a notorious stretch of road. Uh, and Paul Mitchell uh, did an article on that, basically outlining uh, what you knew at the time. But then he went back with Warwick Smith, uh, your um, visual journalist, uh, which is a classy name for photographer, I think, these days, um, to outline what the residents do on that street, because this is not an uncommon uncommon occurrence. Fatalities might be more uncommon, but crashes do happen there quite frequently. Yeah, it was I mean, a horrific crash on um, on Tuesday, and I think the names are still still to be released, I think, in terms of the identif- mm-hmm. identification side of things. It's quite a challenging one for, um, for the authorities. Um, but something we heard quite early on was about, I think, with, with the... Um, you know the, the queues of traffic that were waiting because the road was closed in both directions for hours, um, and we heard of that people were um, or residents were walking down the side of cars, giving out water and apples and and that sort of thing. And it was kind of um, silver lining's not the, the right word probably, but it was a, a kind of a the l- humanity nice little, still a there. nugget of, um, of of goodwill and aroha, I suppose, mm. amongst a very tragic event. And uh, yeah, Paul did uh, exceptionally well, I think, on the Wednesday. He he went down there and um, was able to, you know, I guess, find one of the, the main families that, that does this and does it all too frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's um, um, I mean, one of the telling things is that they basically keep in their pantry um, just like bottles of water, and they you know they they keep the the the, the larder stocked, ready for the next one because they're just they're so regular these um, 
serious crashes that closed the road. Uh, any word from Waka Kotahi and ZTA on what they're going to do about this stretch of road? Because it is state highway, so it's their responsibility. Yeah, we were reporting, I think, on the, on the Wednesday quite a bit about the um, some of the safety issues and some, I guess, short-term um, remedies are being looked at, whether it is around you know, speed calming measures uh, before we are looking at, it, at, it, at that new highway, which is still... Mm. Um, you know, pretty much, I think twenty twenty nine is when that would be completed. Well, what what is the the nature of the issue with that stretch of road? Is is because I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Is it like a blind spot? Is it too narrow? Well, it's just a, it's a, the the accident last week did happen on a I suppose a bend, right. but um, I think just the the volume of traffic, the width, maybe the widths of the of the lanes, mm-hmm. and um, whether it's driver inattention, um, so we don't know at this point uh, that the truck driver was injured. Um, we presume he's probably been blood tested. We don't know, you know, what's happening there, sort of thing. But that, that'll come, come come to bear. Um, but I know in the story we did on the residents, they certainly weren't happy when um, I think the the passing lane got um, got put put in near their morai. Okay. Um, and making it extremely difficult, particularly when they have a hungy mm-hmm. um, or tang, a tangy, sorry, um, being up to t- turn and get you know right, get out yeah. of the marae. Yeah. It's um, yeah, very difficult for them, and yeah, they're certainly not happy about the, the level of consultation at the time. I was um, searching on uh, Google for this article to talk about it, and just putting car crash man number two is not sufficient at the moment. They seem to be cropping up all over the place. Um, is the, is man number two a hotspot for this sort of thing, or are you just getting out and, and, and managing to report it more uh, more comprehensively? Um, I think all the major, with State Highway 1, all the major networks seem to have a pretty regular um, mm. you know, amount of um, serious crashes, but particularly that, I think, south of Havan to Otaki, there's, um, I think we've had three or four fatalities mm. already this year before before last week's um, um, horrible crash. So it's, um, it's, I think we're, we're working with a, a roading network that is decades old, uh, but the volume of traffic is just... Um, Increased um, dramatically, and even because I, I live in Fielding, coming into Palmerston North each day, which that is mental. Seven years ago, I, I gave myself twenty minutes tops to yeah. get to get to work, and now there are a lot of different roading roadworks going on at the moment. But it's, ever. it's like forty minutes, pretty yeah. much having to give myself. I I was uh, driving uh, counter to you, heading sort of out of town on Rangitiki, and the floods of traffic coming in. Uh, just as you, at that sort of intersection with JFK and Fairs Road, it's just insane how many people. Um, the, uh, the public transport system just not desirable, not non-existent. I mean, what are the options for people to come from Fielding to Palmy? Um, well, I guess there is the, uh, there's the bus, mm. which is uh, never so that been, can carry never forty a, people. Yes. Yeah, and it's never been a very sexy option in terms for people who, who you know are trying to hit, hit a certain time, I suppose, for, yeah. uh, for getting for work and. Um, but there are options, you know, if you can manage your morning to to get the bus stop on time. Um, but if the bus is full, I mean, the, the, I mean, as you said, the sheer volume of cars that it just it strikes me that someone like Horizons should be looking at that and going, we could put on a dedicated service and fill it because we could make it convenient just in that, like, like the capital connection, just once in the morning, once in the evening, going the other way. You could make a decent amount of money on that. I would have thought. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think there is a challenge to get people out of their cars because um, 
with like people in Wellington, we love our cars mm. and the convenience and you know people will sit in traffic i think to a certain extent as well so it's going to come to a point because i mean I've, we've been speaking on the catch up the past few days about the nature of roading infrastructure and how it's woefully um outdated because of all these micro mobility options like the scooters and the electric e- uh, longboards and every all the different types of transport and we've got a space for roads and a, a space for cars and a space for pedestrians and now you know the roads are not big enough uh, to to take all the traffic, nor should we be encouraging that level of traffic because of climate change. There needs to be a huge shift, doesn't there? It does, and, yeah, and it's going to take yeah, a, lot of, a lot of smart minds and a lot of, a lot of money um, and plenty of time. And obviously, you know, looking to where we're at now, just trying to get um, getting underway with the, the Gorge Replacement Road um, yeah. Highway, and that's and the amount of time that's, ta- that's taken. And, um, yeah, there's, there's just already a couple of big... Uh, I suppose link road projects on, um, but yeah, plenty of attention sort of needed around the, the urban well, space at least, as well. At least the, the the new saddle road has a cycle lane. Although yeah. I don't know who in their right mind wants to cycle up that hill. It, that's yeah, it won't be me. No, me neither. Um, let's move on. We are here with Matthew Dallas, regional editor for Stuff, looking at what the Manawatu Two Standard has been reporting on in the past couple of weeks. Uh, let's turn to Paul O'Brien uh, from the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you unleashed him on readers with an op-ed um, opinion piece uh, looking at this whole Palmy branding that Palmerston North uh, Papayoya um, has uh, taken on and the contentious nature of, of such a brand. Yeah, well, Paul uh, contacted me offering to, to do an opinion piece on it given, uh, well, I think Janine Rankin has done a couple of stories in the last last year or two just about the, the branding change mm-hmm. and uh, the response to that from the residents, particularly in submissions, I think, to the annual plan. Uh, but the, the text to the editor we get on a daily basis, there's there's one or two every day that uh, either pro-Palmy or anti-Palmy or I don't mind Palmy, but I don't want the council using Palmy. That's my position. I, I, Paul O'Brien's argument is sound and we won't spoil it. You should read it. But one of the things he says is the entire country calls us Palmy. So we can encourage that, but that doesn't mean that our rubbish bins and our signage needs to be palmy because we're not palmy. My opinion is we're papayoya, but we are also Palmerston North, and you know that's that's what the council should be doing. Yeah, and it's whether uh, I think some um, some people, it's the issue of the the branding and the council seeming a bit maybe a bit more corporate than what they should, or a little mm. bit closer to a. Um, you know, a BP or a McDonald's, or because they've now got their very strong, I suppose, brand of this uh, triangle. You know, the A, uh, which yeah. appears on a lot of things, Chevron and, or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and whether that's, um, I don't know, yeah, whether it's got, is that, is got that bit, meant to be like the mountains, like the Tararuas? Is that I don't. Um, I know. I just thought it was a, was an A, but <laughs> yeah, I I quite liked the the not the actual uh, execution of the old brand, but the fact that you had the square with the, the 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 stream running, the river running through. That I liked that old brand. I think that could have been refreshed. Um, I remember, ooh, over a decade ago now, I think it was Lou Findlay, Councillor Lou Findlay, had I love Palmy badges made up and was dispensing them to everyone. I think it was Lou. Or he had the, and he had the car stickers as well. So I wore my I Love Palmy badge with pride uh, on my suit jacket when I wore such a thing. Uh, went on a conference outside of Palmy and someone looked at that and thought it was 
very inappropriate uh, and referencing a very private activity that one may entertain. Uh, I, and ever since then, I haven't been able to shake that palmy vibe. I think Palmerston North. Is there much call for papayoya to be formally adopted? Um, not uh, probably amongst our you know print readership, which mm-hmm. is probably is probably a bit more older and, tra- and traditional. Um, I know even when we uh, last year did our campaign for Timurai Hine in terms of uh, encouraging people to uh, learn, I guess, learn the history of of the park and that this name had more value than mm-hmm. the, than the square, and not that we're you're trying to force it down anyone's throats, but giving them, you know, giving them the history, and and even that, you know, still gets the bite back of as if it's just taken as don't try to change, um, mm-hmm. change the name for me. Um, even though colonialists changed the name of all the places for the native population, yes, I see the, the sound nature of your argument. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's always there's always going to be. Um, Resistance, and I mean, I think, I guess the, the national conversation about Aotearoa, um, mm. I think there probably need to be uh, progress there before uh, before you're looking at probably local mm. uh, local place names, and of course, changing mm. the flag to uh, Kiwi with laser beams coming out of its eyeballs that that would be uh, the next step on the uh, the, the route. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on then uh, to oh this one this one um, got the hackles up in the DHB uh, the deal to bring public surgeries to the private hospital Crest, um, and things got quite heated in a DHB meeting. Yes, well that that. that um uh, deal or a partnership between the DHB and Crest was uh, formalised and got announced properly on the Friday last Friday, um, but yeah, earlier in the week it sort of uh, slipped out, I suppose, at a DHB meeting when the uh, the doctors were quite uh, frustrated, I suppose, over where the deal had been at. Where I think they were of the view they'd been kind of strung along for several months with the belief that the deal had been done when contracts hadn't been formalised. And it ended up being a bit of a stoush. Um, the chairman of the DHB, um, Duffy, and uh, yeah, and the doctors, I think, had a bit of a – it was all remote, so it's kind of like – it's not like they're all in a heated room, mm, but mm. Um, so it's all a bit awkward, these public meetings these days. But it's something, certainly like Janine Rankin reporting on, it's not something she often sees at a DHB or a council uh, meeting because everyone's you know pretty mild-mannered usually and they've already nutted things out behind yes. closed doors. But it's only a sign of, I think, frustrations or um, stress over how, um, how they're operating, um, particularly with – Works coming in at the hospital restrict mm. with doing new new operating theatres, and a couple of them are going to be out of commission, and just that probably level of tension and worry that they're going to be able to cope. And this crest deal should um, you yeah, relieve. Some, some of that stress, but yeah, it's obviously been pretty tense. Yeah, because Janine, I, I noticed in, in the article, was saying, you know, we are the, amongst the most poorly served uh, in the country in terms of how many surgeries uh, exist and how many can happen at one time at the moment. Yes, in terms of, you know, there's quite the backlog and the battle, I guess people, patients being able to be moved um, to other hospitals, but they're looking to, to extend that in the, in the long term, but before, I guess it's going to be more pain before the gain comes, mm-hmm. because they have to close a couple of surgeries um, to um, 
you know, I guess rebuild them. Yeah. Um, and that's where you know, the Crest service comes in. And this valuable, is but. this is going to double the capacity pretty much. I think I saw from five thousand five hundred a year to to, to ten thousand. Um, must be costing a pretty penny though for uh, to to pass it on to a private hospital. Yeah, I, we we don't know what that. I guess that uh, the financials of that arrangement mm. are, but it, you certainly think it's probably not the way. Th- our public health system was designed to work. Well, um, that that would be what uh, Labour and, and the government would suggest as well because the DHB ain't going to be here next year, which makes me wonder what's the, the sustainability and viability of this if, uh, A, it was set up in a slightly sort of smoke and mirrors fashion and people are upset about that, but also there's going to be a new entity next year. Are they going to honour this agreement? Well, it, it's hard, hard to know. I mean, I guess they, they still have to put plans in place not knowing uh, what that – DHB restructures really going to look like yet, mm. or what timeline it's going to follow? Um, with with in with you know COVID nineteen kind of overshadows everything on the health front. Um, whether things things like that restructure get delayed, um, I guess they still have to have some sort of plans in place that can give make them look. Give them a pathway for the next twelve months, eighteen months. Makes you wonder about the the, the Crest uh, Hospital. I don't know if you've managed to speak to those uh, the, the people that run that because you, the capacity must be huge. If they can offer four and a half thousand surgeries a year, plus they've still got to honour their own clients, I suspect as well, not just the DHB ones. They must be churning out some a fairly hefty amount of elective surgeries. Yeah, well, we haven't actually touched base with them on that yet, but um, obviously they. Crest did have the big uh, new building, um, new, huge new development several years ago, and um, it's obviously yeah, fit, fit for plenty of purpose. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, if you want to read more on these stories that we are talking about this morning, do head to manawatu-standard.co.nz or stuff.co.nz or buy your Manawatu Standard at all good outlets. Um, and if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, one more story to look at this morning, and this one's about the buses, but not the way that we normally look at the buses on the catch-up, because that's normally when we're speaking to Horizons and, and lamenting the fact that the buses aren't used too much. Uh, intercity buses. Um, Woodville uh, lost out, I'm going to say temporarily, but it sounds like it could have been a permanent move had not one individual decided to start a petition. Yeah, it's a good, I suppose, community champion story, and uh, um, anyone who's thought of starting a petition and then wondered whether they're wasting their time. Um, yeah, the uh, petition, I managed to get a few hundred signatures from a resident who was pretty keen to get the, the bus stop back from the, the Wellington Intercity service that goes through to Napier when it was, I think it was it was kind of culled, but according... Um, Reimagined. Yeah, and, and apparently they've now sort of, it's come out that, well, if you got bought a ticket in Woodville, you, you could they would come and the bus would stop and pick you up or drop you off. But it seems that wasn't widely circulated or communicated very well. So the perception in in Woodville was that the the bus was not stopping anymore, which as well as cutting off, uh, I suppose, access to the Hawke's Bay for those who who don't have a car um, or don't drive, um, there's also this further connections to get up to the East Coast, Gisborne, or even transfers to go up, you know, in normal alert level times, Waikato, um, Auckland, um, so it could be you know, a big impact for residents who do, who aren't um, don't have their own mm. own wheels, I suppose. And um, 
but yeah, they've had this kind of petition got presented and um, Intercity listened, and um, it's the bus stop is back, so it's uh, it's, a, it's a nice little win, I suppose, for Woodville, which has had its fair share of. Um, um, hits and hurts over the last five six years, particularly with the the gorge. Well, I mean that, that's the thing. I mean you'd think the the, the bus service, or the, the the people running the buses would go. Well, we need to keep. St- I mean, how hard is it? You're driving through the place anyway. It's it's pretty much a one street town. Just pull over on the side of the road and let people get on. I don't understand. And given there was a history of doing that as well. Reimagining it, you're you're still going through. It doesn't take long to look at the news and go. Woodville's not doing so. It's been under the thumb a bit. We'll just keep stopping. Yeah, well, I can't imagine it was a, um, would have been like a half hour stop or anything. I mean, no. one or two people hopping on and hopping off, maybe with a couple of bags. Um, I don't know. Might be able to jump out and buy a coke or something, but. Um I have to say, I'd rather uh, Woodville out to Napier than Woodville to Palmy because I can't imagine a bus on the saddle road being anything approaching enjoyable. No, not at all. And it's something a lot of locals have been doing was having to, I suppose, drive over the saddle to come to pick someone up from the bus stop, mm. bus stop, and um, in Palmy to, to then take them home again. So. That uh, they don't have to have that headache again. So it was uh, resident Annette Nippe who uh, grew tired of, of waiting for this temporary change to to revert, uh, arguing as 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 you have said as well. You know, for people that don't have cars, this is you know a vital link to to get out of Woodville. Given the nature of Woodville, I would have thought car ownership would almost be a necessity. I mean, because there's no higher cars in Woodville, and you know, to, in order to just you know shop and live, I would have thought car ownership or access to a vehicle would have been a, a fundamental. Yeah, well, I suppose those of us who have have cars, I suppose we presume it's, um, mm. it is very high. I mean, we just had, um, was it last week, George Hegney and Warwick Smith went up to the East Coast to, into some remote communities to look at the, the COVID, um, the vac- vaccination driver up there where it was, um, you know, the the percentages were quite low compared to some other regions and getting to some of the areas was pretty tricky. And um, there was just a really good example given where if uh, residents who didn't have didn't have access to cars and they were taking public transport and the one day they came into town to get their shopping or to go to the bank or go to the post office, if that was always a Wednesday, um, but then the vaccination van was going to be there on the Friday, mm-hmm. um, they're just not going to... They just don't, can't make that second trip in um, during the week. And it's, uh, it's something I think yeah, a lot of us probably just take for granted, the um, accessibility. So, I mean, is that reflected in the intercity bus tickets? I mean, are, are people in Woodville using this service? I mean, is it, is it s- such a gross oversight on the bus company's uh, side? Are there figures to show that or at least, ev- you know, anecdotal evidence? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's like daily there's – Tons of people using it because I don't think they would have probably cut it if mm-hmm. that, that was the case. So I mean, it would be a, a low-use probably service, but um, it's but one it's of those like, things you don't know what you got till it's gone. Well, exactly, and it's like the NZ Post, you know, shutting the the post offices it might not be high-use environments, but there are a number of people that would still use those and rely on those services as a vital one. Yeah, and I mean, I know I, you know, I might go on the Capital Connection train, um, maybe only. Four or five times a year, but um, it's definitely my first choice option if I have to go through to Wellington for work and, and not have to deal with parking and um, you know that you know you can do things while you're sitting on the train. It's it's easy my first choice, and it must be the, the same for a lot of 
I think a lot of people working in, in Palmy who, who but not travel through now and again. Not families. As soon as you try and use public transport for a family of six, you really need to be considering the car on a purely financial level. Yeah, it's not. It's not a, certainly not a cheap option. No, and that's uh, probably part of the barrier to entry. Uh, regardless, we are completely out of time. Matthew Dallas, Regional Editor for Stuff and the Man of Two Standard, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Back tomorrow with another edition speaking to Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council. Do join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.